In the late 1800s, there was a man named Billy Sunday. Perhaps you've heard of him. Billy Sunday at the time was a professional baseball player. He played for the Chicago White Sox, although during those days they were called the Chicago White Stockings. Glad they changed the name. Eventually then he would play for the Philadelphia Phillies. He was a talented center fielder. He was known to be very proficient at stealing bases. But Billy converted to Christianity in 1897. And in 1891, he felt the call of the Lord on his life, and he turned down a new contract from the Phillies for $3,500 a year. Now, that doesn't seem like a whole lot now, but the average salary of that day was $300 a year. And so he turned all of that down and left baseball to become an evangelist. And he traveled mostly around the Midwest, and he was a very talented preacher, and he would have large crowd gather to listen to him preach. And Billy Sunday became known as uh, the preacher that would travel around and holding these great revivals in the Midwest. And one day, the lady came up to Billy Sunday, and she said, why do you keep having all of these revivals when they obviously don't last? And instead of answering her question directly, he just asked her a question. He said, well, why do you keep having or taking baths? Hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of things that uh, we do in our life that you have to do more than once. You have to continually do them. None of us will go out to eat lunch today and fill up our stomachs. And even though we may say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I ate all that. None of us will say, well, I'm never going to eat again, right? Uh, probably a lot of you will make breakfast tomorrow morning, even if you have a big lunch today, right? You can't eat just one time and be done with it. You need a regular intake of nutrition. I suppose if you wanted to, you could take one bath during your lifetime, but I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, I think eventually your filth would accumulate, it would affect your health, and I believe that you'd have a hard time maintaining your relationships with people. Another thing that we can't do just once is asking for the Holy Spirit to fill us and then be done with him. We can't do that. We as humans need a constant reviving of the Holy Spirit, of our spirit, Billy Sunday preached these great church revivals because the church needed reviving, and we still do today. But what I'm talking to you more is is about your own personal revival or even the revival of your family. See, our salvation, our sanctification uh, was never meant to be a once and done sort of thing. No matter how strong you are as a Christian, as you go through life, you're going to start to accumulate a little bit of dirt along the way. And as we study the life of Jesus, we often find that even he had to escape away from everybody else and to spend some time by himself and his father to pray. There were these, maybe these little mini revivals that he was going through. And even Jesus needed these times to get away just to be alone with God. Uh, Jesus needed these times to revive. And in case you didn't know it, you aren't Jesus. And we tend to take on probably a little bit more dirt than he did. And uh, if we're not careful, it starts to affect our spiritual lives. 
I don't know if it's done much anymore, but uh, when I was in when I was a kid, when I was a, a preteen and a teenager, the common job during my time and where I lived was walking beans. Anybody do that? Do they even do that anymore? I don't even know if they even do that anymore, but we would walk beans in the summer. Uh, my first job was to walk beans. I started when I was 10 years old uh, and I worked for a farmer. I'm not making this up. His name was Charlie Brown. <laughs> and until I got a real summer job one time when I started working at Hardee's. Uh, every summer I worked in the fields walking beans. And as you walked beans, you would arrive very early with your crew in the morning and you would start walking up and down the rows of beans and your job was to cut out the weeds from the bean field. And since it was very early, the morning dew was always thick on the bean plants and on the soybeans. And so soon your jeans would become drenched and the water would start to drip down your jeans and into your tennis shoes or your boots, whatever you're wearing. And they too would become waterlogged and every step that you took would add just another layer of dirt on your shoes. And they became heavier and heavier and heavier until eventually you just had to kick the dirt off. And you hope that your shoe didn't go flying off with it. And, and, uh, so, but it didn't matter how careful you walked. It didn't matter how careful you were along the way. Just the act of doing my job, uh, walking beans, I seemed to attract dirt as the day went on. And, and when I returned home, I would walk back in through the back door and immediately have to take off my muddy shoes and was probably told to take everything off and go shower, right? And that's how it happens in life as well. Whether you're trying to or not, sometimes you just accumulate dirt. See, we're all trying to run the race with perseverance that is marked before us. And we accumulate filth. Or maybe we accumulate that that little bit of dirt along the way. And it's not that we've delved deep into deep and dark sin, but the, the dirt of the world has started to affect us. And we need to take a spiritual shower from time to time. We need to clean ourselves up. We need that revival. We need that self-revival. And the same thing happens in our families where we need the Holy Spirit to invade our families and we need to revive them once again. Our passage today uh, and, uh, and here in our church, we're going to see these altars, these benches. We call them altars today, these kneeling benches Um, the altar in our passage today would have been a whole lot different. But over time, maybe they've evolved into something like what we see on the sides of our sanctuary today. Um, You have an altar in your life as well. You have an altar for your family. You may not know it, but I hope that you do. I I doubt that any of us have kneeling benches in our house. If you do, good for you. Uh, But I doubt that's what they look like in your house. Uh, you have an altar, but it's built here. It's the altar of your heart. It's, it's the altar of your mind. It's whenever you're in your own mind, you lay yourself down before the Lord. It's maybe it's a mental place. It's not necessarily a, a physical place, but it's that place that you go to to declare that the Lord is actually the Lord of your life that he is actually your savior. It's where he is exalted above everything else. And uh, 
It's a practice for you. I hope it's, I hope it's a practice for your family where you and your family do that as well, where you say, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. That's your altar. It's a place where you and your family would bring your own sacrifices. Or maybe you'd come and talk to the Lord about the sins that you have committed or the idols that you have followed and you would ask for forgiveness. That's the place. That's your altar. And it's a place that you need not only go to once. It's a place that we continually have to go to. Your altar is not a once and done sort of place. It's an altar that needs continual use. And if you don't use it, it falls into disrepair. And it's harder to get back to. We left off with Elijah last week in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. Go ahead and turn there if you would. 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, Elijah had just confronted the most powerful king, the evil king Ahab. And Elijah was told by the Lord to confront this king and to tell him that it wasn't going to rain, uh, that there wouldn't even be dew on the grass for at least three years or at least until he said so. And so Ahab and his evil queen Jezebel were none too happy about this, no, this news and they force Elijah off into hiding. And the Lord tells him to go to this place called the Kareth ravine. And it's there he will find this brook that he can drink from. And it's there that he will be delivered food every morning and every evening by ravens. And so God is using that place and he's teaching Elijah that there's more in store for him. He's teaching him that in order for God to do what he needs to do through Elijah, he has to completely rely on God. And then if you did your homework from last week and you read the rest of chapter 17, you found this amazing story where God continues to care for Elijah and he gets to care for a widow and her son. And all of this leads up into this chapter, chapter 18. It's been three years now and the Lord then tells Elijah to go back to Ahab and confront him once again. And I want to read this story. It's kind of a lengthy story for us today, but I want to read this uh, starting at verse 17 of chapter 18. Elijah has waited three years, has been, been provided for and protected by the Lord for these three years during this famine that has come across the country. And he comes back once again to confront the evil king Ahab. Verse 17. When he, meaning Ahab, saw Elijah, he said to them, said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your fa father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals, the false gods. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets at Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. 
But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Go get two bowls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. All the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a God. Maybe he's just deep in thought or he's busy or he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. And so they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the, time, until the time for evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two shias of seed. He arranged the wood, he cut the bowl into pieces, and he laid it on the wood Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. And at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know, Lord, our God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, 
He is God. It's an amazing story, isn't it? Yeah, you can give God a hand for that. This is the big showdown that we were expecting last week when Elijah confronted Ahab. Elijah has called all of these false prophets around for this face-off, and they take their turn and can uh, attempt to call down this God of Baal to consume the sacrifice, but nothing happens. It's just silence except for their yelling and their screaming and their dancing. And Elijah doesn't even let out, let up. He says, shout louder. He said, surely your God's a powerful God. Shout louder to him. Perhaps he's in deep thought. He's busy. He's traveling. He's sleeping. Maybe even one of your Bibles takes a really, really direct interpretation of the Hebrew where it says, maybe he's in the bathroom. He's taunting these guys. The bottom line is nothing happens. Maybe the only thing you could hear at this point were the flies that were starting to be attracted to this dead bull. But before Elijah takes his turn, God's word tells us that something very important had to happen. And yet this is so quick. It's so quick here in, it's just one verse. It's just a few words that if you're not careful, we would miss this. We just go on and we read the rest of this exciting story and we'd miss something that God did that we need to do today. Before Elisha can, can uh, proceed, Elijah, verse 30 tells us he repaired the altar. He repaired the altar of the Lord for it was broken down. And before he could make that sacrifice to God upon the altar, before God had the opportunity to answer his prayer in a spectacular and a miraculous way, and before this revival sweeps the, the Israel, before it sweeps around the, the land and, uh, fall, and people fall into God and worship, before any of that could happen, Elijah had to repair the altar. Now, God's words doesn't tell us what happened to the altar or why it's in its current state of repair. Perhaps it was by neglect or perhaps they tore it down on purpose. Uh, you probably heard the phrase that you need to use it or lose it, right? Many things we have to do on a regular basis or they begin to deteriorate. Maybe you thought that Denny Zimmerman just showed up here on Sunday and played the trumpet on a Sunday morning. And that he never practiced or he never did anything like that. Maybe you think he just shows up and just, God just says, play beautifully, Denny. And he does it. He probably could. But what you don't see is the many times during the week that Denny comes here on a lunch hour. Or in the evening and he gets out his trumpet and he practices. And Denny knows that if he doesn't keep up his skill, and if he doesn't keep up his talent, then it's going to begin to deteriorate. See, if we neglect our personal altar, then our spiritual lives are going to deteriorate. If you neglect that inner place where you declare that God is your king, your altar will fall into disrepair. If your family doesn't have a continual time where you declare that the Lord is in control of your family, then don't expect much in return. 
The Israelites had rejected God. And before they could experience this outpouring of God's power in their lives, the altar had to be repaired. And the altar needed to be used. And the same holds true for us. If we have rejected God or if we have ignored him in his place in our life, if we've effectively torn down the altar of our souls or tore down the altar in our family, then we need to repair it. And we need to start bringing sacrifices back to it once again. And if we're going to experience revival in our church or in our families or as an individual, then we need to repair these altars. We're not going to go out and get a bull and cut it up into pieces and offer us this sin offering on our altars. Jesus already did that. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for sin. So animal sacrifices are no longer needed. But that doesn't mean that you don't have sacrifices that you need to make. And so I wanted to highlight three here. That if we want to experience revival in our church, within our family, and within ourselves, then there's three things that we need to do. So if you're taking notes, the first one of these is the sacrifice of repentance. Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17 says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. See, when we have neglected the altar of God or we have rejected God, we need to bring a sacrifice of repentance to the altar When we live as if we don't need God or we live every single day, every moment, we need to bring that broken and contrite heart and say, God, I am sorry. I've done this too much on my own. I need you. A revival isn't going to come to our families, our church, or our souls if we just sit back with our arms crossed, unwilling to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. If we ignore the call to repent for the things in our life and that we've done wrong, I guarantee you revival is not going to come. You will not see God come in his power. You will not see God come in his presence in your life. You have to rebuild the altar and make that sacrifice of repentance to God to come And ask him, bring revival to me. Bring revival to my family. Bring revival to my church. Bring revival to my city. And families, that means kids as well as parents. We need to swallow our pride. We need to admit that we've done things that are wrong. And then we can move on and we can start fresh. We need to repair the altar. The second sacrifice is the sacrifice of ourselves. Romans 12.1 says, I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. We need to offer ourselves, did you hear that? As living sacrifices. 
See, back in those days when animal sacrifices were made, in those days with Baal, once that animal was sacrificed and it it had been offered up to God, that's it. That animal was unable to go and go on and fulfill any other purpose. It's done. Not so with us. When we offer ourselves up as this living sacrifice, we are sacrificing ourselves. We're sacrificing our talents and our our time and our gifts, and we give them each to God, and we, we allow God to build his church with them. We get to do it again. And again and again and again, it's not a once and done thing. When we come to the altar and tell God, I'm sorry for what I've done and I need your forgiveness. And then we're willing to give God ourselves and our service. That's when revival can come. That's what happened to, if you know the story from the New Testament, this rich young ruler, uh, you might be familiar with that story. He came to Jesus and he wanted to know all that he needed to do in order to have eternal life. And Jesus says, well, keep the 10 commandments. And he said, well, Jesus, I've done that since I was a young boy. And so then Jesus said, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See, that young man was unwilling to sacrifice himself and all that he had to God. And it is a sacrifice. If Christianity were just this walk in a park, then there'd be a whole lot more people doing it, right? But James puts it this way. Now, some may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? (laughs) Church, if we want to see revival, uh, we need to be willing to get our hands dirty, right? God desires our service for his kingdom. We have a part to play. And third, the final sacrifice is a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 tells us, therefore, through Jesus, let us continually, continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Isn't that an amazing verse? We must continually offer sacrifice of praise to God. Continually. That's what makes this a sacrifice. It's certainly easier to praise God when he's blessing us and when he's answering prayers left and and right. But what about when the times are tough? What about for the Parsons family? What about when our prayers seem to go unanswered? Do we still give our praise to God? What about after we've offered the sacrifice of repentance and and then we've also offered the sacrifice of ourselves, we still need to offer God the sacrifice of our praise. 
See, when the altar of our heart has been repaired and the Holy Spirit is living in us, then there is something that should be evident in our lives. And it doesn't come from our efforts. It only comes from God. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Here it's called the fruit of our lips. And with that in mind, when the Holy Spirit resides in our heart, the fruit should come from our lips. We should praise his name no matter what is going on in our life. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, after we have repented, after we have presented ourselves to God, then we lift ourselves up to him every day. Day in and day out, when times are good or if times are bad, let us praise, let us tell the world how good God is. All the time, praise his name, continually. And as I've been preaching here today, maybe some of you know that the altar within your soul or the altar within your family has become broken from unuse. Some maybe have let the sin of pride and self-sufficiently creep inside and the altar of God has fallen into disrepair. Let me ask you, what's the condition of the altar in your life? What's the condition of the altar in your family? Has it been neglected or is it in good repair? Elijah told the people that day, make a choice. Who are you going to worship? If, it's, if Baal's the real God, then worship him. But if God is the real God, then worship him. God has proven himself to you over and over and over. How much more do we need? We ended our worship today by singing that song, I surrender all. Have we? Have we done that? Does it all belong to him? Maybe today is a day where you would like to come forward and use our altars here to lay it down to God and just say, I haven't given it all over to you. I haven't surrendered everything. And I need to make it right. I'm just going to close my eyes as the rest of us close our eyes and bow our heads. But if that is you, if you would like to come forward today and to kneel down at the altar or even just here in, in front, if you would just like to make that physical step to tell God, I got to make this right. I just want you to move out from where you are. I want you to come forward. I want you to obey the Holy Spirit today. If you know that the altar in your life and you know that the altar in your family isn't used enough and you see signs of weathering and it's starting to crumble, today is a day to get it right. Today is a day like Elijah did, Elijah, and gather up the stones and rebuild the altar. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you we thank you for this incredible story. What a, what a showdown it is. We can make movies out of this. And here we have these, all of these false prophets up against one prophet that declares your name. And you show up in a mighty and a powerful way. But Lord, I'm not sure that's what the story's all about. 
I think the part of the story is there in verse 30, that before Elijah could even offer the sacrifice, he had to rebuild the altar. So Lord, let us do that today. Let us do that with our communication through prayer with you today. Let us rebuild that altar. Let's pick up the pieces and start new. And Lord, once uh, Elijah rebuilt that offer, then you accepted the sacrifice. And so Lord, remember or help us to remember all the things that we need to continually sacrifice to you and may your praise be continually on our lips, whether it's times of good or times of bad. Lord, you, you are the one true God and you are worthy to be praised. Lord, thank you for repairing within us that altar. And Lord, I pray that our families would go home today and set aside a time, whenever that may be, during their week, during their day, where they, their family can set aside and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Lord, repair our family altars. And Lord, we will praise your name. We thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. We thank you, Lord, for descending upon our sanctuary and even to our friends that are watching online. We thank you, Lord, for taking care of us. Lord, may we offer ourselves to you. And Lord, may you be blessed. It's in your wonderful and incredible name that we pray. And all of us say together, amen. I love you. Have an incredible, incredible weekend.